Good morning. Yeah, winners. That was well done. Okay. So I, I was watching some YouTube, and I came across a documentary on the Titanic, and I was surprised. They had actual footage from the Titanic, and surprisingly, Chris, it was all filmed in color. That was amazing. And they were able, they followed the lives of two unlikely passengers, a Jack and a Rose, and like all the story that happens. Amazing. And I just didn't realize they had that kind of documentation back then. And it was a fascinating story made by James Cameron, who you know is a huge fan of, of uh, you know, that thing. So it's incredible. See, all right, you get that? You like that, Mike? Okay, all right. Listen, I've said that three times in a row now, and I hate saying the same thing over and over again. So give me, come on, that was a good one. All right? That's what I get for using the same joke over and over again. I feel like such a failure. I should come up with some new material. All right, but anyway, thanks, man. <laughs> um, in reality, the, the story of Titanic is very interesting to me. And I, I, that particular uh, depiction of what happened, I find fascinating. So we are going to unpack that a little bit and talk about some of the, the relevance of, of what they went through and kind of what we're going through at the same time. You see, in a lot of ways, we are on an ocean, and we're uh, at various stages of, uh, of safety or um, peril in our way. So we're going to try to unpack that today, amongst other things. But firstly, it's my dad's 76th birthday today. Happy birthday, Dad. So, you know, <laughs> I just had to give you a shout out because you deserve it. And uh, thanks for allowing me to be here today because, uh, you know, it's because of him partly that I'm here. So thank you for that. And, um, you know, also, before we get into the notes here, I just want to, as an aside, man, let, please allow me to give you a, just a simple reminder of, um, of life, right? So I, I buried my aunt on Friday, and it was very difficult because, um, you know, as we get older, we, we do that more and more with our family, don't we? We bury more people, and, and we say goodbye to people. But specifically in this instance, it was difficult because, you know, it was like a month ago, I was told, hey, you know, Aunt Elsie has cancer, and then a month later, she's gone, right? And so let me remind you that as we talk about the things today, there's an urgency to what we're doing in this life. We are so easily lulled into believing that life never ends, and, and the little things that we go through on a daily basis, and the little, the, you know, the, the irritating things that we have to deal with, and it, it just... It's a false sense of, of the pressing of time. I mean, time is moving forward. We're all dying. And so the question is, what is your life worth? What are you doing with it? You know, I love that song that, that Jody and Rich picked out. Are, are we living our life well? Or are we just existing? And that's the crux of what we're talking about today. Right, so there's a fable in India about a, a tiger cub who was orphaned and was adopted by a herd of goats. And so as he was adopted by these goats, he began to eat grass and bleat like a goat and act like a goat because that's who he was surrounded with. And one day, a king tiger comes along. The rest of the herd scatters because their innate fear of what's going to happen saves them, but this cub stays behind partly in fear and partly curious for whatever reason. And so the king tiger comes up to the cub and he says, why are you acting like a goat? 
But the cub doesn't speak tiger. He only speaks goat. So he chews some grass. He looks up at the tiger. Ah. The tiger's perplexed. So the tiger grabs the cub and takes him to a body of water and looks down in hopes that when the cub sees the reflection the same, maybe it'll awaken something in this cub, the truth of who he is. But still not getting it, the cub just looks at the, at the tiger and says, ah. And so the tiger then goes and slays an animal and brings the fresh meat to the cub and offers the meat to him and makes him eat it. At first, the cub is horrified. But soon, as the meat begins to work its way through a system and the blood from the flesh begins to warm his own blood, all of a sudden, he stretches himself out. His claws come out and dig into the earth. He rears his head back and roars, shaking the jungle. Because at that moment, he remembered who he was. And you see, each one of us is trapped amongst the goats. Forgetting who we are and what we are. You see, this is the great problem of this generation. We have lost our way and forgotten who we are. Now, it's not strange because we're surrounded by grass and we're surrounded by goats. And so, of course, it's easy to walk out of these doors back into the herd, chewing our grass and just existing, never remembering who we are. But it is God's heart that we recapture who he made us to be. You must understand, the term is imago dei, the image of God. God created us in his image to rule and reign over this earth as kings and queens, not as goats. Now, not to abuse or oppress the earth as we do, that's because of sin, but to live in harmony with this earth that he created as his guardianship and as his representative on this earth. That's who we were created to be. And yet we choose freely to live as goats, chewing grass. God created us to be noble and holy as he is. Now, we're going to cover some things today that aren't going to be that much fun to talk about, but they're true. And frankly, I've reached a point in my life where I'm really sick of not being honest, and I'm tired of telling people what they want to hear. I try really hard not to do that. So I'm asking you today as a baseline for our conversation, I mean, would you just take the, the 20 minutes or so that we have and just promise to yourself and to your God that you'll be honest? Because you can lie to me, and frankly, I don't care. But you can't lie to God. What's the point? So let's be honest with ourselves today because there's more. There's more at stake than you think. We've forgotten who we are. We've got this nagging feeling, however, as we wander around the pasture of this world, can't you feel the tickle on the back of your neck, your ears twitch a little bit, that small voice that's saying, there's more, there's so much more. As we chew the grass and as we bump into the other goats, can't you feel that little voice saying, I've called you to more? You know, what's funny is, it's easy for us to be the fan of the tiger. 
Those goats probably admired the tiger. They looked at the tiger and said, wow, look how big and powerful and strong. We admire you. But they could never be a tiger, just goats. And so you may be sitting in your seat saying, is it possible? You know, I don't know about you, but I've, I've spent a long time in church, in and out, churches all over the country. And then if I'm going to be totally honest, there's a bunch of goofballs like me that stand on the stage. They tell you whatever you want to hear. And they make a lot of promises. And they tell you, hey, salvation's found in this book. Everything you need to know is found in this book. Everything's going to go fine if you just agree with this book. If you just do what it said. If you just accept Jesus, everything's going to be better. And you know what? That hasn't always worked out. <laughs> and so at some point, you sit there and say, I hear what you're saying, but you don't really know me. Well, you know what? You don't really know me. You think you do, but you don't really know me. And I don't really know you, but God does. That's the horrifying part. Because as we sit there, we see, could I be a king or a queen? Could I be a lion? Because frankly, I'm very comfortable being a goat. And so we just give up because it's a scary thing. Well, you know what? That's probably a fair assessment. It is a scary thing. But I'm going to show you in the next few minutes that it's worth it. It's worth it. But check out this clip first. Hello! Can anyone hear me? Mr. Lee, yes, sir. Come back. Come back. You know, that's one of my favorite clips. I really like it. What's interesting about it is it, it, it really does have a lot of bearing on our lives and what we're doing. However, there is one fundamental problem with that clip. Rose says, I'll never let go, Jack, and promptly lets go of Jack. What a liar. I can't stand her for that. And maybe, see, it just makes me mad. They should have, any other phrase would have worked aside from I'll never let go. Woo you know what I mean? That's like, you know, when you have a water balloon, you're like, I'll never throw this at you. You know what I mean? You're just like letting go of it. What a bummer that she lied to us. However, she did, in fact, give us something to think about, right? So I'm going to try to, I like to talk about doctrine and things because I think that over the years, the church has done you a great disservice by creating some fantastic thoughts about God and making them so complicatedly ridiculous that no one can understand them. 
And so let's, let's just boil it down a little bit. We're gonna talk about, right now, we're gonna talk about salvation, justification. Mike, you ready? Write this down. Salvation, justification, regeneration, consecration, sanctification. All of those things we're gonna talk about very quickly. But we're not gonna use those phrases because they don't mean a whole lot today. I actually had an, I wrote a paper on that. How relevant are these terms? So let's talk about it in real life. I'm gonna give you an example and hope that it helps settle this a little bit. You and I, before Christ, are floating in the sea of sin. Our sin and everyone else's sin. We're floating on the sea of sin. The waves are crashing over us. We're freezing to death. We have no hope of saving ourselves. There's absolutely no way that we can get to shore and nothing we can do. Now, we can cling to other people, but they're going down too. So there's nothing that we can do. We call this being lost or separated from God. Then we hear the voice of God calling to us because frankly, we can't see where we are or what, could, what, what, could be, what can we do. There's nothing we can do, but we hear the voice calling. I'm here. Is anyone there? Are you there? God calling to us. We call that provenient grace. God reaching out to us. Some of us choose to respond. Some don't. That's called free will. So we choose to respond to God. We call that salvation. God throws a life ring out to us. You already know what a life ring is? Sometimes I say that and I'm like, maybe, did I pick up that phrase someplace? It's that round thing you put around you. Average size people can put around them. <laughs> you know, how come somebody didn't do about that in the government, man? What am I gonna do? You know what I'm saying? Give me a break. All right, so they throw the life ring out, God does. We slip the life ring around us or hold on, depending on your girth. And either way, we're not drowning anymore, right? We call this salvation. We're saved. We're not going under the waves anymore, but we're not going anywhere either. Now think about this. We are saved. Then what? This is what I believe is the greatest problem in the church today. Many of us are saved. We've called out to God. We heard his voice, save me, God. He throws the ring out. We slip it around us, but then we float. Now, if you can imagine, the waves are still crashing over you. Here we are flailing our arms in the, with this light ring holding us up, but we're still gulping in salt water. It's in our face, in our eyes. We're freezing somewhere between life and death, not experiencing anything except survival. Do you think that God, who created you in all of this, his greatest expectation for you is to just survive? That makes no logical sense. I will give you just enough to just make it. God says, I've come to give you life an abundant life. And yet, many of us just float. Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about sanctification. Because God is not pleased to just allow you to float. He will do that. God is not gonna tug you in while you're swimming the other way. So if you choose to float, He'll let you do it. But God wants to bring you to himself and give you more. Can you imagine, seriously, 
throwing the life ring out there, this is what I equate the welfare state to. We throw people a life ring and never pull them in. And they just exist. That is not God's design or desire. So I'm telling you, the scripture says otherwise. I want to save you and I want to set you apart and make you more, give you the fullness of myself in my life. If God is a Captain George's buffet, you know what I mean? We got the crab legs and that's good, you know? But there's a dessert place right over here on the other end of the buffet. There's mussels in the middle. There's salmon if you like it. I don't. There's flounder. There's steamed shrimp. There's whatever. But yet, we just stand on this one side. What if God is offering the whole buffet to us? What if his desire is to you to have all of him? Are you really content with a sliver of God when the rest is available? Why do that? What's the point? Man, do you not see that we're wasting our time, we're wasting God's time, and we're wasting our ability just floating? The problem is we're so scared that we're going to be uncomfortable somehow or that something's going to happen. Maybe God's not faithful. When Rose was there, you see the risk that she had to take? Now, she was floating on this wood, beautifully carved wooden headboard. Beautiful. I like wood. That was a good-looking piece. She's floating on this headboard in relative safety. But when she heard the call, she had to respond. So she had to take a risk, get off of the headboard, swim through the cold water to get that whistle, to reach back out to the light and the voice and the hand that was reaching for her. That's her response. We are accountable for the same response, but it is a scary thing because it requires faith. God, will you do what you said? Will you reach for me? God says, not only will I reach for you, I already am reaching for you. My hand is here. The moment that we cry out to God, as Peter cried out to Jesus when he was falling below the waves, his hand was already there. We call that provenient grace, God reaching for us. It is not a question of when God will answer. It is when will we ask because the answer is already there. Now, we're going to unpack a little bit more because here's what you need to know. It ain't going to be easy, okay? I can't sit up here and tell you that when you follow Christ, you're going to get a Cadillac, a chicken in every pot. Everything's going to go well. Someone's going to show up and paint your house for free. Someone's going to pay your bills because things aren't going good and you're bad with your money and that God's going to magically fix everything for you because he allows our consequences to settle in because that's how we learn. So let's just, what did Jesus have to say? He, he actually talks to the disciples and says, hey, here's what you can expect if you follow me. Jesus, preachers will lie. He doesn't. So let's hear it from him. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, listen, I'm sending you out to be sheep among wolves. You must be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. You must be careful. You must be discerning. You must be on guard. 
There will be men who try to hand you over to their town councils and have you flogged in their synagogues. Because of me, naysayers and doubters will try to make an example out of you by uh, trying you before rulers and kings. When this happens, when you are arrested and dragged to court, Jesus doesn't say if, he says when. Bonus. Thank you, Lord. Can you imagine them sitting there like, man, this is crazy enough. Now this coming. Don't worry about what to say or how to say it. The words you should speak will be given you, for at that moment, it will not be you speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Your task will be fraught with betrayal. Brother will betray brother, even to the point of death. Fathers will betray their children. Children will rebel against their fathers, even to the point of death. No shocker there. When you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. This is the truth. You will not be able to witness to every town in Israel before the Son of Man comes. Everyone will hate you because of me. But remember, the one who stays on the narrow path until the end will be saved. Now, I was a shepherd for a while in beautiful Ireland. That's not true. I wish I was at some point because that seems like an appealing job that sometimes because I don't know what they actually do. I'm sure there's some, a bad side to it anyway. But here's what I do know about shepherding. Sheep and wolves do not get along. They don't cohabitate. Now, I see it as a West Side Story moment, right? I see the sheeps and the wolves coming at each other, right? There's a beautiful sheep, you, and a, and a, a handsome wolf, and they, they hook up, and somehow they bring peace to the two factions of the sheep and the wolves. No. The sheep are stupid, but one thing they do know is that wolf's going to eat me. I'm going the other way. They don't get along, and it's not a good relationship. This is what Jesus says you can expect. We are the sheep going out to the wolves. How's that make you feel? Then Jesus says, you'll go to court. I know there's a lawyer in here today. There may be more. There may be judges. Shocker. Court's no fun. <laughs> I'm right every time I go to court, and I still hate it. That's, that's a fact. All right. Jesus says you're going to get flogged. I don't care how you look at it. That stinks. He says you're going to deal with government officials. That's an audit. <laughs> no bueno. The family turns on itself, right? Now, that, Jesus did predict that properly. He saw that coming. I know it seems unusual to think families are going to fight with each other, but they sure do. But based on this description, everybody's a Christian in a family, right? Because we all fight with each other. We turn on each other constantly. So maybe, okay, Maybe Jesus was overstating things a little bit. You know, he probably got ahead of himself a little bit. He was caught up in the moment. Possibly he was going a little bit too far. Good news, he clears this up for us a few, a few verses later. In verse 34, Jesus says, Do not imagine that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring, pre bring peace, but a sword. I did not come, uh, I have come to turn men against their fathers, daughters against their mothers, Daughters-in-law against their mothers-in-law. Well done, Jesus. <laughs> that, that, you got that, that one's 100%. You will find you have enemies even in your own household. If you love your father or mother more than me, then you aren't worthy of me. If you love your son or daughter more than me, then you're not worthy of me. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me on the narrow road, then you're not worthy of me. 
To find your life, you must lose your life, and whoever loses it for my sake will find it. So Jesus doesn't unwind what he said. He makes it worse. If you want real life, you've got to lose the one you have. Ladies and gentlemen, I think if we're honest with ourselves and we really boilerplate our life down to its barest essentials, what do we really, apart from God, what do we have? What do we really have? We have a trail of hurt and a trail of betrayal. Jesus is saying, you've got to lose that and I'll give you more. Give it up. He's saying, carry this instrument of death on your back around. But if you do, I'll give you more. Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. This is what's cool about it. See, Jesus says in John 15, 18, he says, man, the world's gonna hate you because they hated me. However, I'm gonna give you something that's gonna make all this worthwhile. But you've got to be asking yourself right now, is this really worth it? And I think that's a fair question. But if we're being totally honest with ourselves, you don't have to be a Christ follower to still be hated in this world. You know, I talked to a guy one time at, at, at Walmart. It's pretty funny. We were standing there in front of the water section. I was looking for distilled water. He was looking for some sort of purified whatever kind of water. You know what I mean? I don't even know. But I was standing right in front of it. He's standing right here. It's like if it were a spider, you know, like, where's the black widow? What's right in front of your face? So it was right there. And he's like, you know, I sure wish I could find this water. I said, oh, man, it's right here. He said, wow, thanks a lot. That's awful kind of you to help me. I said, sure, no problem, brother. He's like, what do you do? I said, man, I'm a pastor. Oh, man, I love God. God's awesome. I, I, I love the Lord so much. He said, but I won't go to church why is that? This is a true story. Why is that? I said, he said, it's full of hypocrites. I said, you must hate being in Walmart because it's full of hypocrites too. It doesn't matter where you go. You're going to be hated regardless. So the question is, what do you want to be hated for? Now, Jesus does an awesome job. He says something that I just absolutely love. He says this, salvation is just the beginning it's just the beginning. God is not satisfied with just saving you at all because he has more. He wants to give you all of himself. But we say to ourselves in our head, yeah, but I'm, I'm so sinful. I mean, if we're being honest, otherwise we can justify whatever we do. I'm not talking about the justifiers, man. You guys have a whole other hill to climb. For those of us who are willing to be honest, we're rotten people if left to our own devices, right? And we know that. And so when God says, I want to fill you with myself, you're saying, but how do I get rid of this? It's a, it's a millstone around your neck. It is you floating on this ocean, flailing, having no hope, it's somewhere between life and death. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit. This is how we will accomplish this. In John 14, 26, he says it. 1 Corinthians 16, Ezekiel 36, 2 Timothy 1. And in Romans 8, Paul says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Here's what you need to know, man. Anything else I've said, take this away from here. You have the potential to be 
fully filled with God's Holy Spirit. Not a portion of you, not a piece of you, all of you. We call this entire sanctification. Entire consecration means I decide, God, that I want all of what you have, and God says, I will give you all that I am. This is the beautiful union. We consecrate ourselves. We separate ourselves to God and say, God, I, want, I will hold nothing back from you. Fill me. Lid off. God says, I will fill you from the bottom to the top with all of what I am, my entire Holy Spirit. God says, you are no longer slaves to sin. Many of you will walk out of this room feeling completely defeated because of whatever nagging or besetting sin is in your life. How can I control it? I'm a sinful person. I still have the flesh I've got to fight. What do I do, God? I'm trying, I'm trying. God says, stop trying. Let me do it. Let me fill you from the bottom to the top. And it will be my spirit that moves you through this life. It will be my spirit that says no to sin. Can you imagine being free of sin, of not having to be a slave to it? Can you still choose it? Yes. But not a slave to it. No more devil on your shoulder making you do things. That excuse is gone. God's Holy Spirit says no. I wish to fill you completely. But yet, many of us will still walk out and say, I'm still adrift, somewhere between life and death, floating on our headboard through the frozen waves. How sad. Because it's our choice. It's our choice. That is what is sad. We choose to do this to ourselves when God says, I will free you. So here we are at the buffet that God has set before us and we're standing in one place when there's so much more. How sad. Can we still get to heaven that way and join God? Sure. Or we can be filled with his presence completely. Look at this clip. Close your eyes for a moment. I want you to imagine, if you will, you standing with the wind blowing in your face and God's arms around you, holding you, whispering into your ear, do you trust me? Will you trust me? Because if you do, we will fly. I don't want you to float anymore. I don't want you to live defeated. I don't want you to be cast adrift on a sea of sin. I want you to be overcomers, conquerors through the blood of Jesus, through the power of my Holy Spirit, and through my very will. I want you to have all of me. Why leave here today with only some of God when you could have all of it? God is whispering, crying to you, will you trust me? 
can open your eyes. He's reaching out, offering himself in completeness. Why would you want to leave with less than all that he has? Because if you do, the choice is yours. 100%. Because you can't walk out of here now and say, I didn't know that there was more. I didn't know that I don't have to be a slave to sin. I didn't know that I didn't have to walk out of here shackled. I didn't know that I could be free and that I could truly conquer. I didn't know that I could be filled and bathed in God's Holy Spirit and go out and actually make a difference in this world instead of walking out as a goat, chewing grass and bumping into other people who need to know that there is truth and hope somewhere. They need you and I to be kings and queens to wake them up so that they would know who they are. They need you to take them to the water. They need you to give them meat to eat. They need you to give them the blood of Christ that will awaken their own blood, don't they? So now what? If you're just satisfied with your salvation, I'm sorry because that's just the beginning. God says, right now, if you trust me, we will fly. If you trust me, we will fly. Listen to the song. to feel. 